Earlier in the show, we mentioned that last month marked 40 years since the assassination of Harvey Milk. Today, Milk is remembered for passionately speaking up for equal rights in the 1970s. I talked some more with LGBTQ historian Lillian Faderman about the man behind the megaphone. She says Milk's activism stemmed from his Jewish upbringing. During the 1930s on Long Island, where he grew up, the German-American Bund, which was a Nazi organization, held huge rallies. His parents, of course, would have been very aware of those rallies, and he would have been aware of them as well. In 1943, the Warsaw Ghetto fell, and he was 13 at that time. It was just before his bar mitzvah, in fact. And he talked about the fact that the adults around him told him that, of course, the Jews of the ghetto knew that they were fighting a losing battle. But he said that they had said, if something so evil descends on you, you have no choice but to fight back. And I think that that, that influenced him always in fighting against homophobia, even at times when it looked as though it might be a losing battle. He fought, he gave it everything he had, and he was victorious in so many cases. Well, he ended life as a politician, but he had a lot of other careers, right? Uh, Did any of them influence his approach to politics? I think every single one of them influenced the kind of politician he became. He was a jock when he was in high school and college. He was able to get the endorsement of the San Francisco firefighters and San Francisco unions because he really knew how to put on a very butch persona and talk to those groups. He was an actor uh, off off Broadway and off Broadway, and I think he really learned as an actor how to deliver a speech. He had a speechwriter during the latter part of his political career, but the speechwriter said that Harvey would take the lines that were written for him, and he knew about repetition. He knew about emphasis. He knew about how to deliver a sentence for its major impact. And that's what he learned in his career as an actor. He was a securities analyst on Wall Street for five years. And through that, he learned something about budgets. And so he could present himself to his constituency as being knowledgeable in finances. And he took all of those experiences and they became a whole for him when he ran for office. He integrated them into uh, various parts of his political persona. It was brilliant. I don't think our listeners will be surprised to hear that Harvey Milk was a Democrat, but he was not exactly a fall-in-line Democrat. Is that correct? Could you give us a sense of his the, the variety of his political views? Yes, in 1964, he was actually an avid Barry Goldwater supporter. (laughs) Wow. How is that? 
Well, Goldwater was a Republican, but he was also what we would now call a libertarian. The word hadn't yet been coined in 1964, but one of the things that Goldwater believed was that the government had no place in people's private lives, no place in people's bedrooms. And of course, Harvey believed that too. Harvey fought avidly against the sodomy laws in California. And I think he remained in many ways a middle-of-the-road Democrat once he uh, changed parties, once he became a Democrat. He was not in any sense a radical except perhaps for his support of gay rights and for his support of minorities and the poor. At one point, he was asked where he stood on the political spectrum, and his response was that those on the right think he's on the left. Those on the left think he's <laughs> on the right. It all depends on where they stand. I don't think he was in any sense radical other than his support for gay rights and for minority rights as well. How did he do with the lesbian community, for instance? Well, for a long time, San Francisco's lesbian community, a very strongly lesbian feminist in those years, were suspicious of him, thought that he had no interest in promoting their rights. And so he understood that he had to somehow change the message, convince them that he would be a representative for the entire gay community and for other minority communities as well. And so what he did was in his last run for office, his successful run, he hired a lesbian feminist, a woman by the name of Anne Cronenberg. And he told her that he really wanted her to pull his coat whenever he did anything that was offensive to the lesbian community. And he told her he wanted her to help him figure out how to serve the lesbian community. And so, for instance, he became a huge supporter of the Equal Rights Amendment, mm -hmm. which was a burning issue sure. in the 1970s. She also helped him realize when he fought against the Briggs Initiative, a California initiative that would have made it illegal for anyone who was gay or lesbian to teach in the public schools and and Harvey was in the forefront of that fight. It was Anne Cronenberg who made him realize that he had to have a lesbian on the stage with him when he debated John Briggs, and Harvey did that. Well, I can certainly see why Milk was considered to be a figurehead. How did he feel about being a figurehead? I think Harvey Milk, from his childhood on, loved the limelight. <laughs> so he liked being a figurehead. <laughs> he, he loved it, yes. He was certainly very sincere in his political positions, but he loved being in the limelight. He also understood, though, that as the first out gay male politician in the country, he had a target on his back. Yes. And soon after he was elected to public office in November 1977, he made three tape recordings that he distributed to three close friends. He called the recordings his political will, and he began each of them by saying that these were to be listened to only in the event of his death by assassination. Knowing that uh, I could be assassinated at any moment, or any time, 
I feel it's important that some people know my thoughts. His assistant, uh, Anne Cronenberg, told me that during the 1978 Gay Pride Parade in San Francisco, Harvey rode an open vehicle. It was a uh, Volvo with a sunroof, and so he uh, sat on top, his legs dangling down. And Anne Cronenberg said that at one point in the course of the parade, Harvey bent down and, and suddenly said to her, Anne, do you know the way to the nearest emergency hospital? You better figure that out. Suddenly thinking, this is scary. There's a huge crowd, and anyone could take a pot shot at him. So he was always, always aware of that. I don't think he realized that his assassin would be someone that he knew very well, a fellow uh, member of the Board of Supervisors, but he knew that he was in a dangerous position. Why should people care about Harvey Milk today? Harvey Milk was a revolutionary and a prophet. He was the first elected politician anywhere to say that society had a moral responsibility to help gay youth, not to change them, but to help them. And he told gay adults that they had to stop worrying about the ridiculous stereotype that homosexuals were those people who lurked in the shadows ready to pounce on some adolescent kid and begin to take moral responsibility for the young people in their community. Harvey said that gay adults had to show gay youth that there was a good life in store for them, even if they were gay, that, that they would be able to function in society. I asked for a movement to continue because last week I got that phone call from Altoona, Pennsylvania. In my election, gave somebody else, one more person, hope. And after all, that's what it's about. It's not about personal gain, not about ego. It's about giving those young people out there hope. You gotta give them hope. Lillian Faderman is an LGBTQ historian and author of the book Harvey Milk, His Lives and Death. <laughs>